If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 4. We're going to talk about when Jesus went to his church, so to speak, on a Saturday morning, how that turned out for him. But I want to actually, even, even before that, I want to kind of say something that I think is, needs to be heard. In our society right now, due to elections and all of the political um, things that are happening, you know, we have a great division in, in our country. And the division is not because of politics. It's just a manifestation of the division. And some of it is not really division, and some of it is totally division. Some of it is actually a diversity, and some of it is division. And one of the things that we've got to understand is from the very, very beginning of Jesus's ministry himself, Jesus chose two people that were in complete, complete total opposition to one another. He chose Simon the Zealot, and he chose Levi, who was Matthew, who was a tax collector. Now, these people were diametrically opposed, far more worse than Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Three times worse because Simon the Zealot was a violent and physical revolutionary who was a violent resistance toward Rome and toward everything that Rome stood for. And Matthew, which is Levi, was of the Levitical order who his inheritance was supposed to be actually the Lord. And instead of doing that, he used the Lord's people to enrich himself with Rome's authority. So he is the biggest traitor that Jesus could have chose. He's a total traitor, a total sellout. And Jesus chooses both of these guys to be a part of his original 12. So from the very beginning, the political scope of Jesus' followers is radically diverse. You have one who sees Rome as the problem and one who sees Rome as, hey, I can use them to enrich myself. Are, Are you seeing what I'm saying? So from the very beginning... Right? There was a diversity as it relates to politics and to the political sphere from the very beginning. Jesus intentionally chose people that were diametrically opposed to be a part of what he was doing. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? So the goal is not to try to change each other. The goal is to try to love each other. And as we love each other, we change. You see, there's a difference there, right? So Jesus, let's go to Luke 4, and then I'm going to further illustrate why they wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. Imagine starting your ministry that way. All right. It's not a good day in ministry. So he came to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had brought, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And... He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? 
He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also in your country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent to accept to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath (laughs) and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow or to the edge of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Verse 30. Then, passing through the midst of them, he went his way. (laughs) Let me give you the picture. (laughs) He's on the edge of the cliff. He's like a push away from death. He turns around and walks through the crowd and exercises complete sovereign dominion as the creator and sustainer of all life and shows them, you cannot kill me. You are not in charge. The kingdom of God is here. He illustrates something to them. He, he, he allows himself to be put on the very edge and then shows them you're not in charge. There's a new sheriff in town. And he begins to announce the kingdom of God. But, but you, have to, you have to see something. First you see he goes to the synagogue that he always went to. And he reads as he always read. But now today, something is different. This is for the people who are anti-church. I don't go to church. Well, Jesus did. <laughs> Sorry. And actually, he was committed because he read in front of the people. So that's actually what he did. He was actually a contributor to a system that was actually fading away. But he was faithful in that. See, when you're, when you're, when you're faithful... In your job, you find your work. If you're not faithful in your job, you don't find your work. And so anyway, he goes and he... Now, we don't know how this happened, but of all the times, the attendant gives him the book of Isaiah. So you could call that, you know, God's sovereignty, divine providence, all these big words. But somehow... The scroll of Isaiah gets put into his hand at the very exact same time where he is about to announce that he is Messianic. He is the Messiah. And then as the Messiah announces himself to be the Messiah in his hometown, they were struck with the gracious words that were proceeding out of his mouth. All of the eyes of the people were on him. And then there's a shift. Boom. It shifts to, is not this... Joseph's son. Is he not the illegitimate one? 
See, they judged him for what they thought they knew about him, and they cut themselves off from the supply of what he had that they needed. That's what dishonor does. When you dishonor someone because you think you know something about them, or you see something about them, you cut yourself off from what they have that you need. That's what dishonor does. So they disqualified themselves from receiving what God had for them. Because they made an assumption. That's why Paul later writes, do not know no man after the flesh. You don't relate to people after the flesh, but after who God created them to be, which is spirit. So here you have this story. Now, what's interesting is everyone's looking at him. They're all, you know, they're all. Then he prophesies to them and says, you guys are going to tell me to heal myself or do what I've done elsewhere here. But a prophet is not without honor except in his own. Basically, it's not that he couldn't do it. It's that they wouldn't receive it. His power is not limited to their faith. We just saw that as he took them to the edge of the cliff. He, he allowed them to take him to the edge of the cliff and then he walked through them. So his power and his demonstration is not subject to some human's faith that he spoke life into and gave them life. Let's just be clear about that. He chose to honor their decision and not do great works there because of how they came at him and how they approached him. Because of what they believed about him. So here you have, now he starts reciting two stories and they want to kill him. And what's bizarre about it is he's not saying anything that didn't happen. It's not like he's, you know, like saying some sort of charged scandal. These are written stories in the Hebrew scriptures. The same Hebrew scriptures that testify that he is the Messiah. The same scriptures that move their hearts to say he's full of gracious words. The same scriptures inflame them to the point of wanting to throw a human off a cliff. And all he did is recite the history of the nation that he and they were both from. What is that? See, what happens with oppressed people is oppressed people become angry and become violent and become disenfranchised. And when they hear things, they hear it through their pain, through their anger, through their disappointment, through, through their, the, the issues that they're struggling with and through. And so they, they were hearing accurate history through present pain. And then that's how they were responding. They were responding out of their pain and out of their anger because they had been a people who had been occupied. Now Jesus brings this story up and then later demonstrates this story by healing the centurion servant. Which is what we were talking about yesterday. And then he goes even more extreme. They're they going to take him. They come, they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He goes, I am he, everyone falls back. What is he telling them? You don't take my life, I lay it down. Peter cuts a guy's ear off. Jesus picks the ear up, puts it back on the soldier's head. Jesus is bringing healing to the people who want to bring harm to him. That's the gospel. And so what's happening in this story is two times Jesus refers to Elijah, which was really their most, Moses and Elijah were their two most revered guys. 
and then Elisha. So he says Elijah was sent to a pagan, and God provided for a pagan while his own people were starving. How many of you know an occupied, oppressed people don't want to hear that? Right? What is he touching? Day one of his ministry. Their national pride and idolatry. The idolatry of Israel. The idolatry of the nation. Their fear and their idolatry is what allowed him to be crucified by Rome. He's touching the very heart of the matter. The anger and the bitterness... That was the real thing that was keeping a nation in bondage. It's not your circumstances that keep you in bondage. It's your reaction to those circumstances that keep you in bondage. That's why Paul writes a letter from jail as a free man. Because your circumstances don't define you. How you respond or how you react rather, that is what defines the circumstances you live in. And so then he goes and he says this other story, which is even more extreme... Why is it more extreme? Because Naaman the Syrian had just went in and conquered the nation of Israel. (laughs) So you have a guy who is going to occupy God's people, Israel. He goes and takes them captive. And the most renowned prophet in all of the land, in all of the earth at that time, is Elisha. And Elisha gives a word to the oppressor and to the conqueror of how he can be healed and then the sickness winds up on his intern for being greedy. If you ever read this story? Gehazi, whatever his name is, I don't know how to pronounce it. He winds up with a leprosy because of his greed. He didn't wind up with his reward, he winded up with his sickness. That's what jealousy and greed does to people. So what's interesting about this story, Jesus rehearses this story to them because the same type of love and grace from God to undeserving people is about to happen and he's trying to prepare them. He's not trying to incite the crowd. He wasn't trying to start a riot. That was their response. He was trying to lay out before them, there is a new season. God's hand is extended to everyone. There has been times in history where Jonah, where Gehazi, where the the woman from Zarephath, where the grace of God has been extended to the nations. And now God is doing that. It's a new season. Something new is happening. The kingdom of God is here. It's for everyone. Everyone is invited. It's not just a nation. It's not just a chosen prophet, a chosen person, a chosen patriarch. There's a party. There is a kingdom. There is a feast. There is a house. There is a family. You are invited. So it's a new season and he's trying to prepare them to be able to see what God is doing so that they can receive it, so that they can be a part of it, so they can celebrate it, but they miss it. See, when we don't deal with our pain and when we don't deal with what is going on in our life, we become blind to the greater story of what God is doing around us. So they wanted to throw him off a cliff. He he walks out of it, further demonstrating who he is and what he can do. 
the stories on and on. John 4 with the Samaritan. The woman has a whole bunch of dudes. She's not holy. And he intentionally, Jews of that day, would go around Samaria. It would be like driving around the inner city because you don't want to drive through there at night because you don't want to break down there because if you break down there, it could be dangerous. Instead of the cultural norm of walking around Samaria because Jews didn't like Samaritans, Jesus responds in the exact opposite spirit of his day or the spirit of the age and he walks intentionally through a place where other people would avoid and walk around because there was a divine appointment. What was the result? That was the first city that declared that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. What's the point? The point is, in America and in the culture we're living in, we are going to have to learn to love the other. We're going to have to learn to bring healing to those who want to hurt us and harm us. We're going to have to bring grace and generosity to people who want to take and destroy our way of life. We're going to have to learn how sacrificial love really bears witness to the gospel. It demonstrates the gospel. It reveals what the Father is like, that he would give his very best for us. Does that sound fair? Not really. That sound like a good trade? Not really. Let's be honest. We're not all that great. Jesus was pretty great, right? Are you, are you tracking with me? Before us, the Father had no problems. No headaches, no like all day long. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can we hear? I need to 24-7. Right? Everything was good. They had real relational boundaries. Everyone was one. They were getting along. There was no problems. And then he invites billions of dysfunctional people into his family. Hallelujah. Amen. But that's what sacrificial love does. It gives oneself for the benefit of someone else. And so the whole point of this, and, and let, let's continue to, to the story, um, what I went through yesterday with the centurion. I'm not going to read the whole story, but the Roman centurion. They are occupied, Israel is occupied by Rome. That's not good. Jesus is Jewish, by the way. He's fully God and fully man, but Jesus is a Jew. He went to the synagogue. He read the scroll. He kept the law. He is a Jew. It's not like he's an outsider. That's his people. He came through the womb of a Jewish girl. Fully God, fully man, and his man's side is Jewish. And will be. Forever. Amen. So, so he, this is not like, he's not talking about something that he's not identifying with. This is, these are his, by, by, you know, skin and all that, this is his people. But he doesn't define his people like that. He doesn't define his family by his skin or his ethnicity. He didn't. They said, who, who, they, he said, they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. He goes like this. No, no, no. My mother and my father, my, my, my mother and brothers, rather, are those who do the will of my father. So faith determines family. Faith determines family. Family is not determined by which womb you came out of. What color your skin is. It's not. Anyway, so what happens here, at least if you're going to do it the kingdom way and with how, through this, how, the, how Jesus defined it. And so if we don't define reality as Jesus defined it, we are, we are living actually in deception. And then there's no 
power behind our life because we live in a pseudo-reality that's real for us, but it's just not real. It's just not powerful. It's not life-transforming. And so anyway, Jesus heals the centurion's servant, which is crazy. Think about it. Imagine if a foreign nation occupies us and invades us, and we're like, man, you know, we hear one of the soldier's assistants is sick. Let's send a healing team to them and get them healed. What? Are you serious? Really? But that, see, that is the love that brings reconciliation. See what I mean? That's a different way. A different reality. And this matters to us because of the society that we're living in. This will be tested in our life. In our lifetime, we will be called upon to sacrificially love people. For those of you who are mothers, you know what that's like. It hurt to give birth. It was worth it, right? For those of you who are not, you still know that being involved in people's lives and children's lives, having friends, there is a realm of sacrificial self-giving love that, that it takes to care for people, to love people. You know? Are, are you guys tracking with me? So, so there is a sacrificial love from us that is necessary to come through us to bring healing to people, to make people feel welcome, to make people feel loved, to make people not feel irrelevant. So Jesus says, I haven't seen great faith, not even in all of Israel. The greatest amount of faith he saw was from a pagan, unholy, uh, unlaw-abiding man. Why? Because he understood how authority worked. He said, I am a man under authority, therefore I have authority. So the greatest amount of faith operates within a realm of understanding and properly relating to authority correctly, even if that authority is corrupt. In the environment of a Saul, a David can emerge if you will choose honor and not vengeance. And that doesn't mean you're saying what they're doing is good or right. That's not what I'm talking about. And so, the great faith that we need to represent the kingdom, we can't live in or with if we have an ungodly understanding of authority. So, we live in a nation that continuously bombards us with a bad and dysfunctional hatred for authority. It's called lawlessness. You can see it in our laws where the laws of God are directly opposed by the laws of men. So, they first attack supreme authority through the supreme court by saying you can kill your children right so so you have all these different ideas that are contesting and contending with our understanding of how authority works why because if our vision of authority is marred through abusive fathers through fathers who walk out, through people who don't play their rightful role, through hurt, through corrupt leaders, money-hungry leaders. Our vision of how authority should be is, is marred so that we cannot operate in great faith, and great faith is what displaces the enemy and establishes the kingdom. It's where sacrificial love happens, and it's where people see what God is really like through us because we're following him and we're living according to his ways. So to wrap this all up, 
what what is being said is that in America, in the present political climate, we're going to have to love the other. And the other is the person who doesn't agree with you. It could be in another political party. It could be another skin color. It could be someone who wants to destroy your family and your life by flying planes into buildings. It could be someone who wants to harm you or destroy your way of life. And we in this season are going to have to learn to love the other. We're going to have to actually at times put our interests aside and actually invest in people that we don't even agree with. And I'm not saying that we're supposed to call evil good or good evil. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're going to have to love people and forgive people who aren't saying they're sorry. Jesus is hanging on a cross. Nobody's asking for forgiveness and he says, Father, forgive them. We're going to have to put ourselves out there in love if we're going to bring healing to this nation. If we're going to bring healing to families. If we're going to bring grace and love to people's lives. <laughs>